The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please turn in your copies of God's Word. If you'll remain standing, um, would you turn with me to John chapter 20? John chapter 20. This is the Word of God. God's Word is the truth, inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And it is His Word that will be read in your hearing. I'm actually going to cover verses 1 through 18, but I want to begin by asking you to look with me at the first 10 verses. Would you look with me now in God's Word um, and, um, and hear that which our Savior would say to us through the Apostle John inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, on the first day of the week, so we have now been following, this is the week that changes everything, the greatest week in all of history, and now we have gone eight days of grace to glory. We've come to this, the eighth day of our study of the Passion Week, the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. In other words, she's convinced somebody's robbed the grave. So Peter went out with the other disciple. That would be John. He's out of modesty because of what I'm about to read, I guess. He doesn't name himself. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. That changed pretty quickly. But the other disciple, that's John, he would be the youngest of the disciples, outran Peter. He would be the oldest of disciples. Age makes a difference. And they reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in, so he is about to respect his elder who is coming up. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. That would be lying in their place where they were when Jesus had filled them. And the face cloth, but that's not lying where his face was. It's different. It which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he then also went in. And he saw and believed, this is a resurrection. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That's interesting, the homes. It seems as if John had not only a home in Galilee, but one in Jerusalem. They also went to the upper room and maybe some went to Bethany. But they went to various homes, which is where they are at this time on this resurrection day. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. The week, the week of passion it's called, holy week it's called, the week that changes everything. I believe the most astonishing, the greatest week in all of history with no comparison. Closest comparison would be the week of creation. That would be the closest comparison possible. But I don't believe it is as great as this week because while the week of creation displays the power of God and his attributes, it doesn't display with vividness all of his attributes. For in that week there is no sin, so the display of grace is not there in that week. Or God's patience with sinners. Or God's mercy. Or God's holiness and righteousness and wrath against sin. None of that is there in that week, for there is no sin yet. But this week, where God saves sinners through his son Jesus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting light. It is in this week, this week, that we see 
the most astonishing week in all of history. No problem defending that. But it's an interesting week. We followed the week, haven't we? I hope that, by the way, the devotionals have been helpful for you as we've taken you to the gospel accounts, the various ones, and begun to um, build it for you so you could chronologically follow what's happening. It's a week of up and down emotions, isn't it? Can you imagine the the emotions on the triumphal entry? Now, Jesus was pensive and thoughtful, but everybody else, they're just taken up with the moment. Or can you imagine... Can you imagine the next day when he cleanses the temple for the second time in his ministry? And then the cursing of the fig tree. Can you imagine uh, the next day when they're uh, moved from the bewilderment of this cleansing happening again and they see the anger of the Lord displayed against what was happening in the tomb? And then the next day, The whole day is filled with Jesus' teaching and parables. It's just filled with it. And then comes an announcement that in two days we'll celebrate the Passover. And then the Son of Man will be delivered up. And he will be killed but be raised on the third day. And then, of course, Wednesday with its kind of a lull as people seem to be catching their breath and thirsty as we call it Monday from the Latin, mandated, as the Lord mandates the fulfillment of the Passover. So it now is fulfilled in him as the last Passover and the initiation of the first Lord's Supper. Now we have the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and a meal that points us back to what he will do as he goes to the cross. And he will also give a new commandment that you love one another. Well, that's old, but now listen to this. You love one another as I have loved you. And then, of course, he comes back to the Mount of Olives where the night before he had given this glorious. Can you imagine what there must have been sitting and listening as he explains in the Olivet Discourse? When the temple is going to be destroyed in that generation, not one stone left upon another. And when he explains his coming and the end of the age in the Olivet Discourse. And now they come back and as they arrive from the upper room and back to the Kidron Valley, up the valley, and then they're back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they come there for the night, as they arrive there, Jesus calls Peter, James, and John aside to pray with him. Then he goes. He's within earshot. They hear him, but they're not with him. And they'll fall asleep. And this will go on three times. This Jesus, can you imagine the emotions when you see this Jesus who with the disciples in the boat under the storms of Galilee where professional fishermen are fearful for their lives and calling out, Jesus, don't you care, while he sleeps in the boat? It is this Jesus now in angst, intensity, overwhelmed, even crying out with a petition they heard him say. Father, if there be any way, let this cup, this cup of the unmixed wrath of God that will fall on him, that he will drink to the bottom in order to give us the unfathomable cup of life. Is there any way, let this pass from me. The agony and the intensity comes to such a point that his very capillaries begin to burst. And the blood is mingled with his sweat as he prays. And then he says, awake from your sleep. My betrayer comes. And what must have been their emotions as they looked and saw the one, Judas, who has now seized the moment with a kiss to betray the Savior. And then we see their emotions of fear as they run, scatter, Bethany, upper room, other places, as they scatter. Peter and John, though, They hang back. They follow. Perhaps it's because of John's relationship with the household of Caiaphas, the high priest. We don't know what there may have been business. We don't know. But he's he's got some relationship. And so he leads Peter and they watch from a distance. And then Peter denies Jesus three times. What must that have done when that news got out? And you see what it did to Peter as he goes away weeping and swearing, returning to his fisherman habits of language. And then Jesus goes through the six trials and then the report, they weren't there. The report, except for John, they weren't there. But the report must have come back of how these professionals had scourged 
and beaten Jesus to almost the point of death. And then he bears the cross. And then he goes to the cross. Certainly the reports came back, the seven words from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Salvation, truly, truly, you'll be with me today in paradise to the repentant thief. The care for his mother, the providence of the Savior, the elder brother. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother as he entrusts her into the care of his cousin, John. And then in that moment as he and cries out with the malediction, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that moment, all of the hell of God's wrath against all the sins of all of his people for all of eternity is poured out upon him. And the one with perfect intimacy with the Father for all eternity now is separated under the torments of God's judgment, paying for our sins. And then you see his humanity. I thirst. And then you see his sovereignty. No man takes his life. He first says, Tetelestai, it's finished. Payment for my people to save them from their sins has been made in full. They are ransomed in the satisfaction of the holiness of God. And then no man takes his life. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He is taken away. He is taken away in the fulfillment of Scripture to a borrowed tomb of a rich man. Two men have stepped up at this moment, haven't they? One of those men that has stepped up is a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who's a member of the Sanhedrin, along with another man that steps up named Nicodemus. Now, they had already manifested resoluteness in that they did not consent to the death sentence by the Sanhedrin. But now the Bible tells us, the Scripture tells us in this account that Joseph and Nicodemus, they take courage. They even now, it's out of the bag. They are identified with Christ. But they go to Pilate and ask for his body. And Joseph is going to put it in his unused tomb. And he's going to place that body there. Jesus dies at 3 o'clock. They take his body down. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. They may have had help from others. And then they do a preliminary encasing of spices. And then they take him and lay him in the tomb. My goodness, you can hardly miss the parallels, can you? When he was born, he was laid in a stone trough, a cattle feeding trough, a stone trough, wrapped in cloths. And around him is the spices, frankincense and myrrh. Now, As he saves his people from their sins, he's laid in another stone trough, wrapped in cloths. And the one who after his birth in circumcision would have shed blood, now on the cross has shed his blood to circumcise, to cut away our sin record and cancel it, paid in full on the cross. As he is encased and frankincense, and myrrh, and such spices. Standing somewhat away. Standing somewhat away is a company of women who are called the women from Galilee. They're named for us, many of them. Not all of them, but many of them are named for us in Scripture. They're watching. And as they're watching, this is probably finished around 4 o'clock. They then watching Joseph and Nicodemus, they then turn and they begin to leave. It is at that moment, I now, up until now, this has been Bible. I am now speculating. I am sure having watched Joseph of Arimathea 
and Nicodemus do their hurried work with partial preparation of the body. I'm sure they turned, they might even said something like, isn't that just like men? Now I'm speculating because I was raised by a strong grandmother's strong mother, married a strong woman and got two strong daughters. And I know what they say after I do something to this day. And I'm sure they looked and said, you know what? We got to come back and get this thing done right. So thankfully, they've got a Sabbath day of rest as they process all of these roller coaster events. And they arise the next morning with a planned and prepared mission. This company of women, we don't know who all is in it, but we do know four of them. And we do know there's likely more than four because it says other women, but four of them are named. Mary Magdalene, the passionate, the one who wanted to anoint the feet of Jesus. This passionate woman who had been forgiven much and loved much. This passionate woman who would speak forth quickly, full of energy, full of passion, tempestuous almost. She's there. It'll be, her tempestuousness will be seen again. Then you'll see the other Mary. You not only have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and you not only have Mary with Martha and um, Lazarus, and you not only have Mary Magdalene, but you got another Mary. And that other Mary is Mary, who's married to Cleopas or Alphaeus, who is also the mother of one of the disciples named James, the son of Alphaeus. She's there. And not only Mary Magdalene, and not only the other Mary, but there's a third woman that's there. Her name is Joanna. She is part of the people in the... She worked with Herod Antipas. She's part of the Herodian palace, along with Susanna, who might have been there, but she's not named. And then there is a fourth woman we know that was there, and that's Salome. Salome is the sister of Mary, and she is the wife of Zebedee, and she is the mother of James and John. She's there. And then it says other women. So there's somewhere from four to eight. Not sure, but we know four up to eight. And they're there. And now they're ready to enact their mission. They're prepared. They've got the spices. They've gathered in the pre-dawn darkness. And they're on their way to the garden and the tomb to get the job done right. And prepare Jesus' body for its final resting place. But on the way, amazingly, they forgot something. And one of them surfaces the problem. What had they forgot? It was simply this. <laughs> Who is going to roll away? They had watched Joseph of Arimathea and with help roll it in place. And now it's sealed and there's Roman guards. And so they ask the question, Who on the way, who is going to roll away the stone? But there are five things that have happened before they get there. Number one, a second earthquake in three days. One on Good Friday, now another earthquake strikes. Accompanying that earthquake is the descent and the presence of at least two angels. And in the concert, and then thirdly, in the concert of the of the earthquake, one of those angels carries it away. Doesn't roll it back up the trough, carries it away and lays it down. And we know it's laid down because a fourth thing happens. The soldiers are confused and dazed. And when they come to their senses, they see the stone away with an angel sitting on it and another one in the tomb. They then... Fifthly, they flee. So when they get there, what they had left undone in their plan, God got done for their plan. And it wasn't so much to let Jesus out, but to begin to let the crowd in. Thus, the crowded, empty tomb. Here are the first ones, four to eight that go in. And they immediately make a deduction. They haven't seen the angels. The, the guards did, and they've gone. 
But the angels no longer are in appearance for them. So they go in and they look and their immediate thought, notice their mission was not, what would you think if they believed Jesus, what he had said? What would you think their mission would have been? Let's go check and see if Jesus is raised. Because he had said repeatedly, 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 I will be crucified to save you from your sins by the chief priests and scribes. Had that happened? Hello. Could y'all be non-Presbyterian for a minute? Let's answer, okay? I need some encouragement. This is number four for me, all right? So what did they, what, what, uh, so they, uh, so here they are. What would you think they would be there for? Well, hey, guess what? Point one got done. Well, let's go check out the third day. And in the Hebrew calendar, this would be the third day. Let's go check that one out. But no, they're assuming that body's still there. And they, what they need to do is have a mission to prepare that body for its ultimate rest in that grave. Until, the, until a day of resurrection. But this was the day of the Savior's resurrection. And so they get there and that's, they have a mission. And that mission is declaring that they haven't believed what Jesus has said. And if you don't think that they didn't believe it when they get there and his body's not there, what is their assumption? Body snatcher, grave robber, a thief has come in and robbed this grave. Now here's where you have to kind of do your work. And I've already tried to do some for you, so hang with me. The women are dazed by this and they are trying to decipher it. They're convinced that someone robbed the body, but there's someone who is very passionate and it's not enough for her to process. She is ready to act. So she leaves before the women. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And she leaves convinced that somebody stole the body of Jesus and she hot and she goes as fast as she can to get to the disciples. And she's not just going to go to the disciples. She's going to the big boys, Peter and John. She finds Peter and John and she says, some, they have taken, they, I don't know who, but they have taken the body of our Lord. And I don't know where it is. I, we don't know where they've taken him. And the disciples, they didn't understand. They didn't believe. But Peter and John, while they hadn't believed, uh, they just said, well, this, I mean, Mary Magdalene, we've got to follow this out. So Peter and John step up and they take off. And they take off for the tomb. And Mary, not only can Peter not keep up with John, but Mary isn't keeping up with Peter and John, but she's on her way for her second trip to the tomb. But now Wait. Back at the tomb, the women who are processing this, the ones that are left, the, the, the three to seven that are left, as they perhaps are turning to go and follow Mary, a messenger speaks. The angels now appear. And one says, do not be alarmed. Do not be fearful. Do not be fearful. You are seeking the living among the dead. And so here the messenger, the angel, the preacher stands up and instructs them. Do not be fearful. Why? Your fears are dismissed. Why? Because the one whom you are seeking is not here. He is risen. Remember what he told you. He would be delivered up. And then he would be raised. Your fears are banished. Condemnation for sin is gone. The power of sin is broken. The victory over sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave is assured. Fear not. And then he goes from instruction to what I try to do as a preacher every Lord's Day. An invitation. Come. See where he laid. He is not here. Don't seek the living among the dead. Then, like every good preacher, he ends with a takeaway. Now go and tell the disciples. And then very interesting. During this week, is there someone 
who was convinced he would be faithful to the end, no matter what the adversity, no matter what the trial, is there someone that faltered and denied Jesus three times? And do you happen to remember his name? Now, it's your turn. Peter. Don't you love the care of our God through these angels? Go tell the disciples and tell Peter. He is risen. He is not here. Now, they take off. But before they get to the disciples comes the first of five documented appearances. In the 40-day ministry from his resurrection to ascension, the Bible documents, and I think there were many more, documents 13 appearances. 13 appearances of Christ that would lead to 500 at one time. There would be hundreds. But on this day, he will manifest himself five times. And the first one is he meets the women on their way. And they see him. And they worship him. That's the first one. There will also be others on this day. He'll even meet with the disciples back in the upper room at the end of the day. The disciples on the road to Emmaus. But as he is meeting with those throughout the day... What we are informed of now is that he meets with them. Paul tells us that that Jesus will personally meet with Peter, although there's no record of it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Peter had a private encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. But at this moment, what's happened? Peter and John are making their way to the tomb, arriving at the tomb, and, and Mary is right behind them. And now these women, they miss each other. These women are headed back. And when they get to the disciples, what do they say? The body of Jesus isn't there. But they don't claim a grave robber. What do they tell them? Because they've been instructed. They say, he is risen. And we have seen him. And now the disciples, in fact, the Bible goes on to tell you, they're confused. Now, wait just a minute. Nobody, grave robber, risen, what in the world is going on? Of course, Jesus will straighten that out in the upper room that night. So that's where they all are. But now I want you to go back with me. Because Peter and John, when they get there, when they get there, Peter goes in. He doesn't wait. And he sees the linen cloth just lying where they had wrapped the body of Jesus. But the face cloth is not there. It's folded up neatly over to the side. And then John steps in and he sees it. And then it says they believe. But didn't quite yet understand. And then they turn to leave. And as they go out, there's one standing a distance away, emotionally overwhelmed. Her name is Mary. And as they leave, she now comes up for the second time to go into the tomb. And she goes in and that John takes great pains to give us this account. Let's read it and then we'll get our takeaway from it. Look with me back in John chapter 20. Go with me to verse verse 11 in John 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. Now, I want to tell you, this is amazing, isn't it? A couple of angels, and you still don't have the clue. You're still thinking somebody has stolen him. And she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, and of course you may say, why didn't they call her by her name? Oh, that's coming. (laughs) That one's coming. But they just say, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They, I don't know who they are, but they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. He's risen. That is the reminiscence of John 
at the end of his life will get to vision and into the heavens. He will see the lamb standing as if slain. John now records Mary that has this same experience. And so Jesus is standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, would y'all stop right there just for a minute? So there are 13 documented appearances of Jesus. Two of them, they don't recognize him. This and later on this day in the road to Emmaus. And, but in the road to Emmaus, they tell you that Jesus prevented them from knowing him until he opened their eyes, right? You remember that? But everybody else recognized Jesus. Harry, how do you know? Because a lot of people try to say the resurrected body is not recognizable. Yes, it is. Jesus intentionally, sovereignly prevents two of recognizing him for a reason. And you've already seen the reason. You'll see the reason if you study uh, these, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I'm going to share with you what I think is the reason here. I think he, while it doesn't say it, he's preventing her. Now, the rest of them, everything, Paul is going to say, here's all these witnesses. Go check them. Well, how can they be witnesses to Jesus rec- uh, as risen if they didn't recognize him as risen? So it assumes that he's recognizable. But in this case... He, on purpose, has not allowed Mary to recognize him. So she doesn't recognize him. So she now makes an assumption. Let's see what that assumption is. She, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be, underline, the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means the teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Here is the second appearance on this day. And that he had said these things to her. She clings to him. That would be very natural, wouldn't it? There he is. Once she recognizes him, she clings to him. And that seems like not that many years ago when my mother died and was going to be with the Lord and I was with her. I just grabbed her. (laughs) And I know part of it was I wanted to comfort her as she stepped into glory. But the other part, (laughs) I was trying to keep her. I really wanted to keep her, even though I know it's better. Death is gain for the believer. Well, she's holding on to Jesus. And Jesus has to remind her what he's told the disciples already. Do you remember when he said, that's why he says, go tell my brothers, I have risen and I'm ascending. Why is that? Remember what he told them? I must go away and it will be better for you. Because then you won't have me in front of you. Then you'll have me inside of you. As the spirit of God is poured out upon you. Thus, he's saying the same thing to Mary. Don't hold on. It's better for you that I ascend where I will pour out my spirit to be within you. And thus, thus she immediately lets go. Harry, how do you know she lets go? Well, how'd she go to the disciples if she's still hanging on? She lets go and then gets on mission, on message, and in ministry. That's what she does. So, my brothers and sisters, I want to give you just a brief takeaway and then we'll close in prayer. Takeaway is this. John 20 records a mission failure. Now, notice, please note my, please note my articles. A mission failure. The women's mission failed. In fact, once they got to the tomb, it was aborted. And now they got a new mission. Come and go. Come, see, go, tell. And they get on that mission. They've also got another mission. 
Every fact, according to the Bible, has to be affirmed by what? Two or more witnesses. That's why we got a crowded tomb. We had a crowded tomb. The witnesses are coming. And the Lord's just bringing them there on the day of resurrection. As they arrive, it gets to be a crowded, empty tomb. We got two angels. Now we'll add uh, four to eight women. Then we're going to add Peter and John. Then we're going to add Mary Magdalene as she gets round two. And when she comes back. So this becomes a very crowded, empty tomb. But while it is crowded with a lot of people... It is empty. There's one who's not in the crowd. He's risen. He is risen indeed. And that is Christ, the Lord of glory, who is risen, declaring the victory of his redeeming work. So we have got a mission failure because of the mission success. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a success. Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus, go check that good Friday we went by. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has saved his people from their sins. He died in their place. He took the wrath of God that was due to us upon himself. When you stop, at, if you will just stop and pause at Good Friday at that cross where the ground is level, because I don't care what our ethnicity is, our demographic is, our sociology, our economic, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and nothing that you have and nothing that you are can get you by the judgment of God. Absolutely nothing. We are helpless and we are hopeless. All have sinned and there is none who seek him. No, not one. But praise God while we need him and don't want him and don't seek him, he who doesn't need us wanted us to seek us. And he goes to that cross and two things stand abundant. When you gaze at Christ, the son of God dying in our place, you see the sinfulness of sin against the backdrop of God's impeccable holiness, inflexible. I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. This Jesus who went through six trials and every one of them said innocent. Now on the cross, here's the word guilty. Not because he has sinned, but because he has become our sin. Now you see the cost of our sin. Can I share something with you? I just share this with you as an insight because it strikes my heart. Me, but I'll share it with you. You and I will never be able to gather on the Lord's day with a heart of joy to sing praise to God. We'll mouth it. We'll check the box maybe. But we'll never from the soul. And quit waiting for worship services and worship leaders to manipulate you into something. Worship comes out of the heart when we are engaging in the elements of worship that God has prescribed and the heart and the joy comes this way. Jesus, Jesus has died for me. I am forgiven. Sin's penalty has been wiped away. Sin's power has been broken. I'm justified. I'm regenerated. I am born again. And now the practice of sin is not being managed. You don't get Jesus to manage life. Jesus gets you and he is your life. And you don't manage your sin, you kill your sin. Not to be saved, but because you love your Savior until you go to be with him. That's what happens. And when you see the sinfulness of sin, what turns checking the box into full-throated praise is when you realize the one who died for me is the one who died because of me. My sin. Oh, the thought. Oh, this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross on Jesus. And I bear it no more.
The other thing that Good Friday shouts at you is you see the wrath of God and the sinfulness of sin and the holiness of God. Now look at the love of God and the grace of God in Christ greater than our sin. That's how we're saved. And that turns us around from checking the box of churchianity to living Christ in Christianity. That's what changes men and women. And until you get it, then you continue as Mary Magdalene, sad. And how does the Lord cure that? With his word. You know, folks, I'm, I'm at the end, so let me just maybe ask you to consider this. Have you ever, when you read the gospel accounts, they're all re- written from their perspective, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, all um, complementary, nobody contradicts, but they've all got distinctives when you read them. I've tried to put together the chronology for you today. But what I want you to see is this, is that when the gospel writers write about the resurrection, write about this whole week, but I'm just on, the, on this day, write about this resurrection, you will notice something. They never try to sell it, do they? Hey, I got some, I, I, I just want you to know, I want you to know that you really, no, they report it. They report the event. They don't try to sell it. And, and there are already, listen, if you are in the world and you hear that you're helpless and you're hopeless and your religion can't save you and ritual can't save you and personal resolve can't save you, there's only one who can save you, that's Jesus Christ. That becomes a scandal. We hate that. We'll suppress that. And so that's what we will want to do. We will want to suppress that. But notice... And and, and let me just say this. Therefore, we're going to try to deny this event. We're going to concoct all kind of fabrications to say that this didn't happen. In fact, they already started. They're saying, oh, no, it didn't happen. The disciples stole the body. They're going to come up with all kinds. But notice, they don't try to defend the event. They just report it. They just report it. This is what happened. And here are the events that the Holy Spirit inspired them around that event to tell you. But in doing that, they actually demolish all of the concocted fabrications to deny the historicity of the resurrection. What was one of them? Wrong tomb. You heard that one? I remember reading it after I became a Christian. They put the book, the Passover plot in my hand. Wrong tomb. Wrong tomb. Listen, I've been there. I've been in these graves. There's all kinds of these caves that are left at this place where the garden was and the crucifixion site just a stone throw away. That garden of Gethsemane is about the size of these two pew sections put together. Wrong tomb. The very people, boy, I'd like for you to tell these eight women they're wrong. The very eight people that were standing there at the last at the tomb are now the first at the tomb. The last from the cross in the tomb are now the first at the tomb and they didn't find this place that they were looking at don't you just see how the very reporting of the events demolish the attempts to concoct fabrications to deny it someone said well the Sanhedrin they stole the body well if they did number one why are they now now why are they now concocting another fabrication the disciples stole the body and bribing the guards and if they if they stole the body hey a couple of days later there's going to be pentecost they're going to stand up and preach peter you know what peter's going to say this jesus whom you crucified god raised from the dead all they had to do is roll the body out christianity's done and then some will say well it's a wish list this wasn't a spiritual resurrection of emotion The linen cloths are laying where the body was. Let me try to explain this to you. (laughs) Let me try to explain this to you. How many of you, the new Christmas thing, you ride by neighborhoods and out in the yard are these blown up things? You've seen those? Hello? Y'all seen that? Okay. And then you come by the next morning and they're all deflated. That's the picture they saw. What had... The body those cloths had surrounded was now gone, and it was deflated. Just deflated. So much for a spiritual wish. 
Oh, I know the disciples stole it. Boy, I love that one. These guys who ran at the arrest somehow got the courage over that nighttime to come up with a plan and they were going to take on Roman guards, Roman empire and, and the Sanhedrin. Where did they get that? Uh, number one, I don't think they'd be smart enough to do it. Number two, I know they're too fearful to do it. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I just don't think they could have come up with it. If they did, why in the world did they all die horrific deaths, deaths giving praise? I mean, if I had lied about this thing and somebody's about to cut my head off or crucify me upside down, I'd say, wait, just kidding. That was a prank. No, they willingly died and seized the moment as a platform to tell people the truth. The Savior redeems and the Savior is risen. That's what they did. Steal the body? Let me ask you something. Have any of you here, don't raise your hand. Anybody had a, your home broken into? When they step into this, quote, body snatcher moment, what do they see? Cloths. And then one folded up neatly over here on the side. How many of you have come at home to your home when it was broken into and a thief had ransacked it and um, they put the dishes in the dishwasher <laughs> and folded up your laundry for you? So much for body snatching. Let me tell you what you do have. You've got the power of God's word. Every prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus, including on the third day I'll rise. And that's God's exclamation point. The sacrifice satisfied. Or the power of the word. Here's a woman. How many people have I talked to who said, well, you know, if I had Jesus right next to me, I'd believe. Mary Magdalene didn't. She didn't believe. When did she believe? I believe this is why John records it. And this is why Jesus prevented her. So I could tell those of you who have not yet seen him, that you believe him and you love him. Because just like Mary, you can hear him. When his word comes by his spirit, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. Here is your encouragement. The Savior speaks to you and when you come to him lives within you. And see the power of God's word at work. Here's just your last thought. Mary thinks that this man is what? What does she think he is? A gardener. Now, if you get the next answer right, I'll let you out in two minutes. Is she right or is she wrong? I believe John has included this because she's wrong. But unknowingly, she's right. This is Jesus, the second Adam. Anybody remember the first Adam? What was he? A gardener. Where was he? In a garden. Here's the second Adam. In a garden. And he's a gardener. If today you'll come to him. And put your trust in him. May I please tell you. Politics isn't going to save you. Money ain't going to save you. Man-made religion isn't going to save you. There is only one Savior who can save us and will save us from our sins. Their penalty, their power, their practice, and one day their presence. And that's Jesus. So I do what this text repeatedly does to everybody that comes to this tomb. I invite you. Come, see. And when you give your life to him, then until he comes again, we get to go and tell others. Yeah, he's a gardener. He'll take you and clean you. He'll take you and grow you up that you'll bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit for the glory of God. He'll take you by the Spirit through the adversities of life and pull the weeds of sin out of your life to bring you to glory. Then he'll take you and send you into his field. He'll not only harvest you, 
He'll send you for him into the harvest to bring to him. Oh, yeah. He's a gardener. Is he yours? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word this Lord's Day. Thank you so much for Jesus who came, who died, who is raised, who is ascended, who sends the Spirit that we might come to him as King and Lord and Savior. So, Father, with your word by your Spirit... May your invitation given throughout this day when you were raised, this day in your name before you come again, may they hear it. Everyone here. And friend, please, I ask you as the preacher in the garden did, come and see. Give your life to Jesus. He will remove. You don't have to manage your sins, guilt, and shame. He'll remove it. You don't have to manage sin's power. He will break it. You don't have to manage sin. You can kill it. And you can embrace him who will never let you go. The resurrection declares all you've given me, Father. I lose not one. Here is our assurance. Come. Those of you who've come, Oh, God, please give us the power and the heart to go and tell. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.